Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's the international break, but I'm Joe Roman. I'm here to get you through it together with three of the finest with me. Theo Squires, how are we? Not too bad, thanks. I was uh, enjoying a weekend where Liverpool couldn't do it by not playing football. It's quite nice. Yeah, just said it's the international break and we'll get through it together. But really, what would be nice is if they just extended this international break till August and um, <laughs> we could all just forget about football for a few months. Well, Isn't so that right? It came through last week, wasn't it, that they're going to extend it for in a couple of years anyway, so we get a three-week one. Yeah, that's the, that's in September, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we won't talk about that, but I don't mind that. I don't mind that <laughs> at the moment. How are you, Kiefer? Are you all right? Recovered yeah. from Madrid? <laughs> Just about um, yeah. phoneless, but but we march on. Um, but now I'm the opposite. I uh, I despise the international break. I mean, sometimes obviously you can come at a good point, but especially when you're coming off the back of a few defeats and it just lingers for a couple of weeks, I find that just so tedious. And you kind of you know dealing with the same the same stuff. I, I find that it's like my pet peeve. So cutting down the days till till City really. See, I'd agree. Usually I'd be be right with you, but the, the problem this year is. You know, in the past, if you if you lose going to national break, you're quite confident you come out of it and you'll put it right. But this season just not hasn't been like that. So um, yeah, I'm um, I'm quite happy for it to roll on. What about you, Rich Garnet? Are you um you happy with this international break? Um, yeah, I'm finding ways to experience joy in football away from Liverpool momentarily, which was surprisingly easy actually. My lad scored a double hat trick on Saturday. double hat trick, double hat trick, yeah. one in each half. Yeah, um, so um, a DNA test incoming because I'm pretty sure he didn't get his football skills from me, that's for sure. Uh, so that was what? nice. If Julian Ward's listening, then we could maybe get him onto Liverpool's books before um, before he departs in the summer. Get him in. Matthew Garnett, set me up for life. That'd be quite nice. What what position does he play? He's centre forward. Centre forward, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah sports player on the pitch, but fast as He's going to be a right-back scoring a double hat-trick, is he? Well, <laughs> you know, you know. So how old's your lad? Uh, eleven. Get him in the first team now. I say. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen at this stage of the season? Not, not a lot, really. Um, and I played late that day. I played vet semi-final, and we won um, on penalties, which of course I was nowhere near. Um, although I did have a say in the penalties because I actually gave one away in in the uh, in the ninety minutes, which was saved by our uh, great keeper Chris Newton. So uh, yeah, all was forgiven. Sam, well, we'll get that DNA test out to you as soon as possible. Then, <laughs> the sounds of things. Right, well, um, moving swiftly on uh, from DNA tests. Theo, we'll start with you. Some news this morning uh, from David Ornstein at the Athletic. Um, he's reporting that Liverpool are increasingly unlikely um, to sign Jude Bellingham. Obviously, this has been a chase that's gone on for the best part of say eighteen months, two years. Um, Liverpool long been admirers, um, but. I think everyone knew it was going to be tough, but there was, there was sort of a confidence, wasn't there, that Liverpool would be heavily involved, if not favourites, to get him. What, what do you make of the news this morning, Theo? And, and you know what? What does it say about Liverpool this season? Uh, it's a tricky one to really assess. Like obviously, David Ornstein, Athletic, it's a credible name, and it's one where usually if he says it, oh, that must be right, that's set in stone. But it was only what forty-eight hours ago we had Bild and Germany Christian Falk saying. Jurgen Klopp has gone to Liverpool and said, make sure Jude Bellingham is a, a top, top priority. 
he is the player I want more than anyone else. It's like, well, we've had 18 months, two years of this now, and it's become a very tiresome roller coaster with many twists and turns with your Liverpool, Man City, Real Madrid, whoever else being linked with him. And they've been given more transfer boosts and transfer blows that any of us can keep count of. One minute, one of them's leading in the race, the other one's pulled out. And then it's just a complete cycle. Oh, Real Madrid are now leading the race. And then City have pulled out. And then it's Liverpool's turn. Um, and really, what David Ornstein said, there's nothing new there, is it? We knew if it comes down to purely finances, Manchester City have more money. Real Madrid have more money. We know if we've quite in the Champions League, it's a little bit hard. There is nothing new there. It's just they're now out of the Champions League. They haven't played this week and there's a bit of a gap for them in the top four. They've got these three horrible mouth-watering games, depending on which side of the fence you sit against City, Chelsea and Arsenal when they come back to. So they could be miles off the pace. And then it looks increasingly unlikely that they'll be in a position to side Jude Bellingham. But like we've said on this podcast before, it depends what Jude Bellingham wants to do. Like if he is just going to be determined by money and you go to the highest bidder, Liverpool probably can't compete with that. If his I mean, his family and his advisors sit down and think Liverpool is the best option, maybe there is still something there. Like still March, there's going to be another few months here before this is resolved. There's going to be some more twists and turns here, and it just depends what happens now. Like we're saying, Liverpool might not make Champions League now. They could go on an unbeaten run, go and take points off City, Chelsea, Arsenal. Everyone's feeling confident again, and they find a way to finance a deal for Bellingham. Like they obviously had the money for a, a midfielder of that caliber last summer when they're going for Shuamani, and it's a player they've waited for. They've known how much he was going to cost for a long time. Maybe the asking price has gone up and up. Like I think when we were talking about him last summer, you were saying 85, 90 million. I don't think anyone was going 130 plus. But then that's down to Julian Ward and all the other sporting directors to sit down around the negotiating table and sort something out. You're hoping from a local point of view that they can come back to the table and they can sort it out. But at this stage, it's all just speculation. Like His future's not going to be decided now in March if he's a player who's got his head on his shoulders. And as he keeps saying, he just wants to focus on Dortmund for the rest of the season. And we've seen twists and turns in other pursuits in the past. Like We had two years of Kylian Mbappe looking certain that he was going to be going to Real Madrid only for an 11th hour U-turn last year. If you want Liverpool examples, Timo Werner, he spent a year looking like he was certain to go to Liverpool. Then the finances weren't possible there. But then if a player wants a club, then it sometimes happens. Sure, many wanted Real Madrid, no interest in anyone else. He went there. Virgil van Dijk wasn't interested in Man City, wasn't interested in United. Chelsea, whoever was asking for him, it was only Liverpool for him and they got the player. It's just all these other contributing factors. If it's just money, Liverpool will struggle. Everything else, they still might have a chance. All that being said, Kiefer, increasingly unlikely is quite a big lie. I know, you know, I respectfully think I sort of disagree saying there's nothing new in there. I think that in itself um, is a big line. Kiefer, if they don't get him, how big a blow PR-wise is this to Liverpool, their owners? Because I, I know Liverpool will say, well, we didn't drive this speculation, you know, that the media did. Um, but this is a player who the, the manager's been out on, on record praising more than we've ever seen him really praise an opposition player, certainly one that he knows he can get. Um, and 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 two, if Liverpool wanted to, let's face it, they could have shut this down. They have shut down other transfer rumours before. Um, so does this would this be a bit of a disaster for them if they didn't land him? Oh, absolutely. I think obviously with everything that's gone on this season with the midfield and, and obviously the obvious problems that there has been, I think the kind of the shining light or the, the light at the end of the tunnel has been you know, you know, Bellingham coming this summer, and whilst I don't think he solves everything entirely, and, and I'm sure we'll get onto, you know, other midfielders that they might need to bring in to complement him, i.e., a Mason Mount or a, or a Mateus Nunes or someone like that. I think Bellingham is the one you're looking at, and you're thinking he's 19 years of age. You know, you can easily get 10, 10 years out of him, and he probably still has a resale value because he's what 29. Um, so I think he's the big one, and, and, and he feels like, you know, the, the, the next poster boy of Liverpool. So. You know, on and off the field, it's a, a massive signing, obviously, the face of English football at the moment. Um, and if they weren't to get him, as you say, Joe, you know, it's, it's kind of become the worst kept secret in, in football, really. And, you know, there's been times, you know, you, you, you even look at the, the Southampton Van Dyke saga um, when there was all that kind of behind the scenes, you know, discussions going on. And then Liverpool quick to part of the statement when, you know, there was allegations of tapping up behind the scenes and all of that. And, and they kind of distanced themselves from, from him at the time in, in the summer of 2017. 
obviously with Bellingham, they haven't done this. And obviously for Dortmund, it, it'll be music to their ears, kind of all the, the noise, because obviously it only drives the interest up on which will obviously drive the price up. But as you say, Klopp hasn't hasn't shut it down. You know, managers in the modern day will, are, can, are always quite, you know, poker face and straight face when it comes to transfers and talking about players who, who they don't own. But Klopp's on, been on the record, you know, numerous times. I think it was in the summer. He said the only problem is he isn't available at the moment. So he's obviously clearly a fan. Of, and I just think, you know, it, as I say, that's been the one thing that Liverpool have been able to hold on to this season. That you know, while they might not be competing with City and Real Madrid in the Champions League and the Premier League this season, you know, they still kind of have that that muscle off the field. And I think if someone like Jude Bellingham, you know, picks Liverpool over Real Madrid, you know, all the other clubs that are, that are linked to him, I think that still holds Liverpool in good stead, regardless of whether they finish in the top four. But and, and that kind of adds to their pulling power for next season. You know, if you're you're a Mason Mount and you see, you know, Jude Bellingham going to Liverpool, still believing in the project, buying into the project, you think, well, well, why shouldn't I? But I think obviously, if you don't really have someone, you know, I think maybe it could become a bit harder if, if you are looking at Europa League football or no European football at all. Um, you know, while it might only be for one or two seasons, um, I just think it, it it might become a harder sell. But I suppose if you've already got those. You know, big names. You've got obviously Virgil Van Dijk at the back. You've got Alison Becky. You've got Mo Salah, and you've got Jude Bellingham in there. I just think it makes it an easier sell for the for the rest of the project and the restructure. And also, as well, you know, with with Julian Ward departing, you know, I think with you know, with there being so much uncertainty around kind of who's going to succeed him and and kind of all the noise, you know, obviously with him kind of resigning so unexpectedly. I think if they were to, you know, to pull up a transfer of, of that magnitude before he goes, I think that that sets up the, you know, whoever succeeds him in, in good stead because they aren't having to tackle that, that you know, a, a massive overhaul as their first job, you know, we made that slight bit easier. And if they are to miss out on him, then, you know, whoever comes in is going to be kind of faced with that enormous stress of trying to find a Jew Bellingham replacement. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, clubs in the market who know you're desperate for a midfielder and then you're probably not not panic buying territory but you're probably overpaying for players and and you know i'm sure that the fee for bellingham is probably going to be north of 110 15 20 million but i suppose you know you can you could you can justify it i suppose because he's so young he's so experienced you know he's, he's a future captain really for wherever he goes to um, you know, if you if you if you kind of think of it as in kind of was the case with the united Sancho, you're probably getting 10 years out of him at least so, you know, if you're paying, you know, 10 million, 15 million a year for a player of his quality, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a, a bad deal on the whole. Um, but I just think, like I say, if they do miss out of him, I, I do worry kind of what the what the kind of A, the fan backlash of, of that will be. Um, and obviously, where does where do they turn from here? Because while there have been names such as Mason Mount and Nunes and other players mentioned, Jude Bellingham has been the one. You know, and the others have almost been the ones to compliment him. So if you kind of miss out on that that massive piece of the puzzle, you know, who do you turn to? Because it does feel like at the moment there is a there is a lack of, you know, world class midfielders for one, and starters, you know, ones that are available and, and kind of willing to come to a to you know to for the right kind of right kind of fee and the right kind of package. And obviously Jude Bellingham certainly ticks ticks all those boxes, but I suppose time time will tell, obviously. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, Richard, for, for Liverpool, it's, it's long been about selling the dreams to these players, isn't, isn't it? I mean, which reminds me, actually, just a couple of days before Van Dijk was announced as a Liverpool player, I do remember the Telegraph reporting that he was um, set to sign for Man City. That always sticks in my mind. But obviously, the, the groundwork had been done by then. Liverpool had got him in. And as Kiefer says, Van Dijk was such a big part of what Liverpool were doing. You can't imagine where they'd be if they hadn't have got him because he was their top target. So it feels similar to Bellingham, doesn't it? I mean, how big a gamble was it for Liverpool to go into this season with all their eggs really in the Jude Bellingham basket? Because surely selling the dream is, is made all that more difficult by this, not just a blip, but a really, really poor season all round. Well, it hasn't paid off, has it? You know, they've uh, had issues in midfield all season um, and it's been a very weird season, hasn't it? A season where you can win 9-0 and beat Man United 7-0 and, and still be fairly awful every other week. Uh, it doesn't really stack up, does it? And I, I understand this whole concept of wanting to go for main targets and not and not settling for second best. Um, but sometimes I just think if you, 
if you realise there's, there's there's a gap or there's a deficiency somewhere, even if you got someone on a shorter term deal, there's not, I, I haven't got a problem with uh, signing more experienced players on 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 shorter term deals if, if they can do a job and 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 you know why you're waiting to get the man that you want, and and maybe there could have been opportunities to do something along those lines before the start of the season if he didn't want to. Um, make a huge outlay on a, on a player that wasn't his first choice. But how, how much is Jude Bellingham actually going to cost Liverpool if they get him? You know what I mean? Enzo Fernandez, um has kind of set the bar, hasn't he? So he went for about, was about 109 million? I think it was for Fernandez. He's played 10 games, hasn't scored the goal yet. So that's going well. Um, and if you spend 110 million on or, or nor for that on Jude Bellingham. What have you got left to bring in around him? Because Liverpool need more than one midfielder. How many midfielders can they sign if they spend 110 million on one? It concerns me. And don't get me wrong, I, despite saying all that, I would love nothing more than Jude Bellingham to sign for Liverpool. I think it'd be absolutely what they need. The ideal, you can build a side around them for years to come. Um, um, maybe it's just because I'm so old. I'm, I'm like risk averse, and I, I just I'm just worried about all the eggs being in one basket on it. Um, the probably and it and you know if you could wait another year, couldn't you? And then his price if he doesn't sign a new contract with Dortmund, his, his price would decrease, um, and, and that would be nice. But unfortunately, you'd, it's another year without bringing in a midfielder. So so it's almost like Liverpool have played themselves into this position now where you kind of have to go and get him, even if the money is a bit ridiculous. And they've not got a great, uh, you know, there's not, there's not too much um, evidence of them wanting to pay over the odds for players. But mark my word, if you're paying that type of money, you, you are paying more than the going rate. It just so happens that um, he, Bellingham has been built up now to this point where... He, he may well be one of the best players in the world, but is he worth such a astronomical gamble? I'm not too sure. Do you think one of the, the issues there has been that not just as as Liverpool like struggled in, in terms of numbers in midfield, but they probably went into the season thinking, well, Fabinho would continue his, his good form, Thiago would kick on, Henderson would continue, um, Curtis Jones might make the step up, Harvey Elliott would make the step up. And then even maybe someone like Cater might play his way into getting a new contract. But the opposite really has happened, doesn't it? In the sense that Cater is, is a lock now to go. Oxide Chamberlain is going. Curtis Jones has barely featured. Javier has done well. But the, then the three other established stars in Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho, none of them have played particularly well this season. If anything, all three of them have, have had four seasons. So Liverpool, just in that department, just seem to have gone so much, so far back even from last summer that they're just in desperate need isn't it and that's why that the fans are so sort of emotional maybe about about Bellingham because because the need is so is so desperate yeah Liverpool gambled like they've never had an issue on paper with quantity like if you throw in Bissetich as well who we didn't expect to be a contender in this Liverpool first team at the start of the season they have 11 players who can play in midfield but as you said you've just gone through pretty much all of them you can throw Artemelo in there as well and there are reasons why it hasn't gone to plan for any of them whether it's I don't know I'm not going to say down tools in the case of the ones out of contract but they've clearly got their eyes on the next move they're going to go out the door quietly Arta's had injuries other players have been getting older on the decline Carvalho doesn't look like a midfielder Elliot had that little spell where he didn't look like a midfielder Jones has had horrible injuries freak injuries as well there just hasn't been any rhythm and consistency there. It's almost like when Liverpool had the centre-back gamble a couple of years ago where we're not going to sign anyone to replace Dejan Lovren. Fabinho's there. Fabinho is a competent fourth choice. And then very quickly, Fabinho was the one they had to start because the other three were injured. And then he got injured as well. And you're playing like Jordan Henderson there. Like Liverpool, because they've said in the past, every transfer has to be right and they don't have the endless riches of other clubs. They have to be a bit more considered with it and take these gambles. And this season, it hasn't paid off at all. Like the three players that were first choice last year, and Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago. I wouldn't say Thiago's fallen off the cliff to the extent of the other two, but it's just not been anywhere near as good. You're wanting that player at their peak to step in and make a difference. Uh, Cater, when he signed, he would have been that, I suppose, player bridging the gap. He is the one who should be in his peak years. He should be the one who's getting this new contract and 
you want to be partnering with a Jude Bellingham and a, a new holding midfielder or Fabinho if he was still had a bit more life left in him. But he's going out the door quietly. He's barely featured um, because of injuries. And when he does get on the pitch, his form's not been great at all. It's just been the story of his Liverpool career for the majority. And they've had so many players that have had these spells of inconsistency, the injuries. It feels like they need a clean slate. They need to get rid of all the deadwood, all the players where it hasn't worked out and just bring more in and hoping that like, you're not going to have the injury problems. You can show a bit more durability. But then Justin Bissetic gets struck down by, what is it, a doctor injury, a stress injury, and he's out for the season. Maybe it's just something behind the scenes as well there. That Liverpool, the way they played, the way they put all this strain on players, and when they have one injury go, it triggers a second and then a third. They need to get out of that cycle of injuries and being able to get the rhythm back, get players at the peak. And it's one where when you've got 11 midfielders, even if you lose four to injury, that is enough for two starting midfielders. You're expecting enough quality there. But having gone from winning, nearly winning the quadruple, it's fallen apart. The quality just isn't there anymore. I think Alex Ferguson famously said, you can get three or four years out of team and then it's out of the cycle and it has to change. You need fresh ideas in there. Liverpool got six years out of theirs. He squeezed it, for every, got every last drop out of it. And now we're at that stage where they're in transition. It's an ageing squad. They need new fresh uh, fresh faces. They need new ideas. And it's going to been a, a long, painful season. Slow play um, with midfield. They're just out of ideas. It doesn't need new bodies in there. It needs a Jude Bellingham or a Mason Mount. Someone, more than one person. It needs a few players to come in and really change this uh, attitude in the squad at the moment because they are looking so tired. Kiefer, do you, do you think this is, is purely a money thing? You know, a lot, lot of criticism, some rightly, some wrongly, goes the way of the owners. But is this, a, you know, a money thing combined with a manager who is, you know, as Theo's just mentioned, very loyal to players? And perhaps a transfer department who've seen gambles pay off before. You know, you think back to Van Dijk, that was a gamble that, that ultimately paid off waiting for him. Um, you know, the COVID season obviously looked bad with the centre-half situation, but they ended up finishing, what, third that year and, it didn't. It didn't really end that badly, did it? In the end, and then the, you know, we've seen before. Theo mentioned Timo Werner, but Liverpool missed out on him. Waited, got Jota, and really ended up getting the better deal from Chelsea there. So, I mean, do, do you think this is a combination of factors, or do you think purely Liverpool might do things a bit differently if they had a bit more money? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, in reg- in regards to this season alone. Uh... I mean, I don't know if people want to hear this, but I kind of my kind of view on it is I think it's a, a Klopp thing, and I think it's Klopp being not not too loyal, but I do think it's a thing as we talked with in terms of targets and being not too stubborn, but he knows what he wants and he, he kind of doesn't deviate away from that. As you know, as we touched on with with Van Dijk, obviously at the time there was links with Kula Bali and kind of other you know members of the squad and. Uh, sorry, other centre halves, and, and he waited, you know, for five six months until he got Van Dijk in the January, and obviously that paid off, and, and that was a huge call, and you know, that obviously kind of transformed Liverpool. And he's, he's probably looking at you know a similar situation now with the midfield. As Theo said, the money was was there for two or many last summer, and and obviously if you know if Real Madrid hadn't been in the conversation, or you know he hadn't fancied Real Madrid, he he, he would have ended up as a Liverpool player. So that money just doesn't disappear overnight, um, and and you know. I think everyone knew regards of, you know, you know, I don't think anyone could have planned for Fabinho to fall off a cliff in the way he has done. But I think there was many people would have said, Liverpool do need an alternative because when he wasn't playing or he wasn't at his best or he wasn't fit or whatever, you had Jordan Henderson, who obviously at that stage of his career, you know, wasn't wasn't best as a number six. Um, so I've always kind of thought for this year, I thought the, the blame kind of lies with Klopp and, and, he, and he said when, when obviously when Henderson got the injury against Newcastle on, on the eve of deadline day in the summer. And then he obviously said that, you know, they were kind of looking for solutions that night and obviously Arthur Mello comes in the next day. Um, so in terms of that, obviously I think the owners have provided the money and you, you know that that's there for them. I think I think there's a bigger problem at Liverpool because I think over the past five or six years, the pool of players who have been able to improve Liverpool has been so big. You know, you look at players like Robertson, Wijnaldum, Shakiri at the bottom end of the table, and yes, they obviously they all got relegated with their clubs, but obviously there was you know data and metrics that indicated that they could you know help elevate Liverpool at the table. I think again, you know, you look at last season in, in terms of, you know, how close they were to, you know, something that's never been done before in, in winning a quadruple. How do you improve upon that? And there's only a select pool of players in world football. You know, you're talking Mbappe's, you're talking, you know, Jude Bellingham's, you're talking 
probably there's probably about three or four players you could improve a team and take them one further because Liverpool were, you know, near you know near perfect for so much of that season. So I think that is a big problem. And obviously those players obviously command huge transfer fees, as obviously as we've talked about with Jude Bellingham. So it's 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 kind of you have to you have to go all in. You can't I don't think you can do it half heartedly and think, well if we don't get Jude Bellingham, we want to get a I don't know, some some lad from from Stoke who's played, you know, 20 games and he's going to cost eight million, but he's got room to improvement, you know, room to improve. It's it's like people obviously say with Casado, and obviously Liverpool should have maybe been alert to him when he was, you know, in Ecuador or wherever he was before Brighton. Well, he wouldn't have got the games to develop last season, you know, because Liverpool were, you know, obviously had so many important games across a 63-game season. So I think they find themselves in a really difficult situation. And and obviously, you know, you look at teams, you look at how Manchester City combat that in terms of, well, they can just throw money at the wall and see what sticks. And you know, obviously they did that with Calvin Phillips, and obviously that hasn't worked, but that's not gonna that's not gonna hinder their summer spending in January or in the summer, you know. So they can obviously go again. And obviously Klopp's been quite vocal of that in, you know, in this season, you know, he said that they have to be, you know, more cautious and more kind of pragmatic with with who they sign and what they spend their money on. But I think that's in terms of the bigger problem, that's always kind of been my view of it is that the pool of players now is so small to improve is that Liverpool really, you know, once they identify those targets, if they miss out like a two or many, I don't think there's many alternatives in, in world football. And that obviously kind of links into to kind of Klopp and the, obviously the ethos that he's driving at the club in terms of obviously striving for perfection and obviously wanting to go one better than last season. So obviously if it, if if last season, sorry, if this season had played out a bit better and, and obviously there's, there's been so many issues this season, I think it's hard to pinpoint it on, on one thing. Obviously, I think everyone would agree the midfield's been the biggest issue. Um, but, you know, if, if, if it had gone, you know, maybe if Liverpool were third at the moment, not in a title race, but, you know, maybe just comfortably in the top four, I think people would have said, well, it's a bit of a masterstroke that he's kind of got one more drop out of those players each and, and he can go again this summer and add, you know, a Mason Man or Jude Bellingham and someone else and, and rejuvenate it. You know, you wave goodbye to Cater you know, an upside Chamberlain, but like, like I say now, obviously, because because that hasn't happened and, and they're kind of, you know, now fighting to get into the Champions League again, I think obviously kind of it, all, it maybe highlights the, the bigger problem there and the bigger kind of issue that, that kind of lies on Liverpool. It's a good point, that, isn't it, from, from Kiefer uh, Rich? Because, you know, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, Liverpool haven't strengthened when they've been ahead. But that is easier said than done, isn't it? Especially when, in Liverpool's case, they don't have the money of a Man City. I know people accuse the owners of this and that, but the, the fact is, City's owners are richer. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone in the summer would have written players off the way they've, they've performed this year, but it was always going to be tough, wasn't it, for Liverpool to improve? Yeah, it's it's true that there's players there that just haven't delivered this season who looked exceptional last year. So it, that that is a, a learning for everyone. From, from this season really and um what what could have been done I just the, the only thing you can say is that that people had identified the midfield was an issue and changes needed to be made didn't they you looked at the ages of the players I mean how many times has uh, James Milner played this season and um, you were bigger you want me to bigger James Milner fan than me but he certainly played a lot more than I was expecting to and the reason reason for that is one is availability because he's rarely injured and he's been more consistent than other midfielders and Jürgen Klopp trusts him. So he, he's ended up playing a lot more, so much so that he might actually even get another year's contract, which would infuriate some people. I'm sure he want to want to see this team evolve, but um, you could argue he's, he's possibly deserved it. And then you're going to see other players, younger players, um, leaving this side while, while someone like Milner potentially stays. But it's if you look at uh, Jürgen's sort of past clubs, hasn't it? He's had this, this sort of the seven year thing, isn't it? Where, where he's not been able, he's never stayed anywhere to like rebuild a side, has he? And this is this is going to be new ground for him. He's called it out as one of the reasons he signed the new contract because he wanted to build a new team. So, so this is a test of him as much as it is of his players and what sort of uh, buy in he'll get from uh, from the owners as well. And I'm honestly not too sure which way it would go. Uh, my concern is that Liverpool won't get Champions League qualification at the end of this season because one or two of them might have already thrown the towel in. That, that's my concern. Um, and, and if you don't do that, you've, you can't really attract 
the best players that you possibly can, regardless of how big or small your pool is. You've gone from gone from being in the Champions League every season, being able, all right, there may be not too many players who you could consider could improve the side uh, or take a chance on, but um, being able to attract those players now is going to be even harder if they don't finish in that top four. Theo, I've one long thought that one of Liverpool's issues has not been rotating some of the fringe players. You know, when they brought in the likes of Oxlade Chamberlain, Shakiri, even Cater to an extent, who became a bit of a fringe player, they had a Rigi. They've either not replaced those players or they've stayed too long. One player they've been linked with recently is Mason Mount. Um, sort of makes sense from a homegrown point of view. You're the king of of homegrown mm-hmm. rules, so you can explain that. But but is that the sort of signing as well that Liverpool was? On top of the Jude Bellingham's, Bellingham's or the headline grabbers, is Mason Mount the type of player they need to sign alongside that so that they can sort of complement their squad a little bit and make sure that they have plenty of different options? Or what do you think? Does he does he fit? Does he not fit? Um, he ticks boxes for me. I think he'd be a good signing. One I, I compare it to is when they got um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. That was I, I know fans will have their opinions on Oxlade-Chamberlain now, but at the time it was a signing from a rival Premier League, big six, big four club who've been playing so much Champions League football. He was at that young age, he was a versatile, seasoned England international, won trophies, and he only had a year left on his contract. But even with all that, 35 million looked a bit, little bit steep. With add-ons, Liverpool probably paid around 40 million for him over the years. But then you look at it now, six, seven years down the line, 40, 50 million for Mason Mount, it looks decent value when you consider what he's uh, done in his career. I, I know he's not had the best season at Chelsea, but let's be honest, most of that Chelsea team haven't had a good season. And when you've got the, the contract hanging over your head, it, it will have an impact. This is the club that he's been with for all his career, pretty much. I know he's had a couple of loan spells. I think when the rumours linking Liverpool with Mount first emerged, I was thinking, oh, it's just going to be agent talk, isn't it? Agent wants a new contract for him. He wants to stay at Chelsea. They're throwing these big names out there to try and force the hand. But if um, Bellingham's increasingly unlikely to join Liverpool, Mason Mount is looking increasingly likely to leave Chelsea. Mm. He would tick those boxes where if you're spending 100 plus on Bellingham or not, it gives you that alternative player for the cut price fee. And they are going to need to be a bit economical with a few players to balance the books here. And it's just a quality option. You can play a few positions in the field. You can get goals. You can get assists. Still young. And it's the homegrown quota. You're losing at least one in Oxlade Chamberlain. You can make that two if Milner goes. If Nat Phillips goes three. If Kelleher goes four. You need at least or what, eight for um, to name a full Premier League squad of 25. And then it gets even more complicated with the Champions League. They need these players here to complement the numbers. And when you're potentially losing Henderson in a couple of years as well, it makes sense to get that next generation in. Mount, he has been a very, very good player for Chelsea for the entirety of his career. They're pretty much he's a Champions League winner. Um, someone I definitely like to see at Liverpool. Whether you'd say he's like, oh, he's definitely going to be first choice for you the same way you would if Liverpool got Bellingham. It's a different story, but he's a player you could rotate with and you know of. He starts, he's going to do a decent job. He's going to contribute offensively, contribute defensively, or he's just a very good option off the bench. It's like that upgrade on one when they brought Oxlade Chamberlain all those years ago. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I keep it simple, Kiefer, yay yeah or nay on, on Mason Mount. I quite like the lad. I think he's a good player. Yeah, absolutely. I said it a few years ago um, on, on a podcast or a thing. I said that he'd be my dream signing kind of thing. And maybe the bar was a bit low then. I've seen this before. Jude Bellingham kind of exploded in the way he has. But in terms of at the, at the time and what he kind of did in his first season, you know, under difficult circumstances, obviously when Lampard took over, they had the transfer ban and it was like him, Tammy Abraham, Tamori, the kind of academy lads, Reese James as well, who, who all kind of flied the flag for Chelsea that year. And obviously they, they won the Champions League, didn't they? Um, yeah, kind of everything what Theo said, homegrown, yeah, you know, can play a few positions. I think that's probably my only concern is that I know well, certainly on the two shell, he, he kind of played off the strike in a, in a 4-3-2-1. Um, but I suppose obviously versatility is not a bad thing. And obviously I know he's played a bit deeper in, in kind of central midfield positions for England off the left-hand side. You're looking at Thiago, he's not getting any younger. So, you know, a replacement for him. No, I think it's I think it'd be a really good signing. Obviously Klopp's gone on record before and, and said that he's, you know, what a brilliant player he, he would be. And, you know, I think, yeah, it might be a lot of money with one year left on his contract if, if you are talking, you know, 50 million and above. But 
I suppose as Theo says, if you look at Oxley Chamberlain, 35 million, you know, how, how football's moved and how inflation's gone. 35 million, 35 million then is probably, you know, similar to 50, 50 million, 55 million these days. So no, I'd I'd be I'd be all over it for definitely. Full house with the Garnster or, or are you gonna go the other way? No, I like Mount. I like him. I like I liked him when he first um sort of broke onto the scene with Chelsea. Um I'd be lying if I didn't say I haven't been watching him too closely this season. I don't, don't think he's done as well uh, this year, perhaps, as, as as when I've seen him previously. But I do think he's the type of player that Jurgen Klopp can get a tune out of, absolutely. And he's young, exciting. The only concern is is what sort of wages he'd want to try and demand if he came here, because that's, that's the sticking point at Chelsea, apparently, isn't it? He's seen all these... Um, all these stars come through the door, picking up more than him, and he's been there since he was well, six years old or, so, or something like that. Um, and uh, I think the, the, the reported line is that he's not back £140,000 a week, which I would accept, to be honest, Joe, if uh, if you were to uh, offer me that later this week. Just, just <laughs> drop me an email if that's going to happen. 120 uh, is the highest we go, Rich. 120, done, done, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Five-year deal, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think he wanted like almost double what um, uh, what he was offered, and um, well, is he going to get that at Liverpool? I'd be, I'd be quite surprised if he, if they were that high. Um, so that's any sticking points. But if if they think the numbers add up, then yeah, I'd have no problem at all taking them. They must have had some encouragement though, Theo, from the agent because they've been linked so heavily with him, and and I think it's maybe overlooked a little bit that, that Liverpool have one of the higher wage bills and they're going to be getting a fair amounts of fairly high earners off that wage bill, including Oxide chamberlain Cater, Firmino, of course. And there's probably some others that aren't jumping into my mind quite quickly, but th- there should be some room to manoeuvre, you would think, in terms of the wage bill. Yeah, there will be some. I think Firmino's one of the highest earners in the squad. He, he's not quite um, Salah, Van Dijk, Thiago levels, but he's certainly at the very top of that next bracket with the likes of Trent. Um, Milner, he's not nowhere near as much as he used to be when he first came because they've obviously worked it down over the years to give him the extensions. But you'd imagine Cater and Oxlade Chamberlain will be on a, a decent whack as well. Uh, so there is that room to manoeuvre to bring in players and it should lift the weight off Liverpool's shoulders a little bit, give them that more room to negotiate this sort of deal there has been so much links with uh, Mason Mount you imagine that interest has been there and they have had discussions behind the scenes to sound it out I know um, we've had the talk of oh he's rejected X, Y and Z from Chelsea but you can imagine from his point of view Reese James is reportedly on like 250 grand a week there he must be a bit annoyed that they've not come and given him that sort of money or come in with him to first when he was the one who got into the first team I think earlier and looked to be the poster boy ahead of Reese James and he's the one who's potentially at the heart of that team if they built it around him instead they went for the right back but that doesn't mean he's going to be necessarily demanding that elsewhere I think he just feels maybe he's been taken for granted a little bit at Chelsea there's also the um, whispers of not being too happy with the, the contract length because I think it was another deal where apparently they wanted him to go on this stupidly long contract so they can uh, fudge the books a little bit, as we've been suggested with some of these transfer rules to make, um, was it FIFA or UEFA, change transfer rules so you can give out quite such a long uh, contract with the payments over it. Maybe it's just time for him. He needs a a fresh start. He needs a new break. Um, Maybe that could be at Liverpool. He'd be a good player. Imagine if Liverpool got him, it's not going to be on that sort of money, what Chelsea are offering. We already know that. But then it, it doesn't have to be because Liverpool get them in on that lower wage. And then if you come and deliver for two years, you get a decent pay rise. It's what they've done with Jota. It's what they did with Trent. You pretty much go through that entire squad. Anyone who's got an extension over the past four years has done it and got a rise off the fa- back of what they've done on the pitch. Mount's still young enough to do that same thing if you can get Liverpool back to previous heights. But then we still need to see what's going to happen. Like I think Gorsty wrote in his notebook last week um, on his newsletter, that normally Liverpool would have a short list of four or five players at this point of the season because of the added uncertainty with Champions League and everything else. It's still very much a long list with a number of names on there, including Bellingham, including Mountain, including Nunes, but there are a few more as well. And it's just going to be spinning plates, sounding out things with agents and then seeing where everything lies in a couple of months' time when it is actually time to make the moves and transfer window opens. 
Well, we've talked about potential midfielders of the future. We'll finish off with a quick chat about one of the midfielders of the past. Lucas Leiva announced his retirement over the weekend, forced to retire after um, sitting out the whole season with a, with a medical issue. He's back at his, his um, first club, Gremio. Um, before um, before I ask you guys, yeah, I, I loved Lucas. Um, sort of like, feel like my prime era watching Liverpool. And I thought he was a really good player, tactically really good. All the big managers who managed him relied on him, which I think speaks volumes. He got a lot of stick, but never, ever complained. was a great servant for Liverpool, and I just really liked his attitude. He's the actually, little fact for you, the only player I've ever seen my dad engage in an argument with anyone at the match for. He turned around with a big row with some fella for um, for giving him grief. Um, and, and Lucas was, I don't know, for my age group, I always thought he was like the original whipping boy, someone who really got a lot of stick. Kiefer, I'll start with you. I mean, you're you're the youngest in this in this little group. What what do you remember him signing for Liverpool? What are you remember? What are your memories of him as a player? And uh, sorry, I know you weren't like just born <laughs> when he signed, but you know, like in terms yeah. of you know, you know, watching Liverpool. What what are your memories of him as a player? And yeah, you know, where do you, where do you stand on the whole Lucas debate? Yeah, he's one of those. I think you, you, he was always a player that I thought if I ever was lucky enough to play for Liverpool, I would be that in terms of, you know, maybe not the best, but you kind of always give give your all kind of thing. I think, you know, as a, as a young football fan, they always, you know, obviously, yeah, you, you like the big names, your Gerrards, you know, your, your Torreses and even, you know, your Carragers. But I think, you know, I, I always, you know, to go off topic, but I always used to like Henderson because I thought he was, as you say, he was kind of the next whipping boy, wasn't he? And, you know, I kind of take a soft spot for them and kind of prove people wrong. And, and Lucas was obviously that before his time. And, you know, as you say, Joe, you know, so many managers relied on him and, you know, obviously wasn't the most glamorous, but, you know, he was obviously quite unlucky with injuries. I remember he got one at Chelsea under, I think it was under Kenny, wasn't it? And that kind of set him back, um, you know, over a year. I think he'd done his ACL. Um, but I think you, you only need to listen to kind of the way people talk about him, you know, off the pitch and stuff. And I know there's what that tale Theo, Theo wrote yesterday about when he went and visited Gerard and after after he'd uh, announced his retirement or his departure from Liverpool, um, and and as well, you know, he, I, th- I think I always thought with Lucas it was a bit of a sliding doors moment. Obviously, as it has the injuries, but um, I think it was his debut. He wasn't really coming against Everton and and, and Neville um, handballs on the line and and, and Couch scores a penalty. I think it finishes two one at Goodison, doesn't it? And I always felt like if that had, if he had scored that goal, he would have had not not a free pass, but he would have. He would have almost instantly been given the weight off his shoulders, kind of thing. But obviously, as it didn't go that way, his, his Liverpool career kind of went in a different direction. But in terms of like you know big performances, I, I always remember the, uh, the the League Cup final in, in 2016 when he played at centre half against City, and I think he missed his penalty on the day. Obviously, Cavalera, you know, had a blinder in the shootout. But I just remember he was he was absolutely brilliant. He was just you know reliable. I think Saka had gone off with it with a head injury or something early doors and and he I don't know if he'd started or he'd come on as Sacco's replacement but he was just solid and obviously Liverpool don't don't win that don't win the cup so obviously that's that's kind of long forgotten but yeah as you say he was just reliable and and you know he's he's one of those that he, you know he won't go down as as one of the key key of that era as in you know they didn't win as much as they probably should have um you know and you'll look at the likes of Gerard Suarez and and, and Torres if you go, if you go a bit earlier um but in in terms of in terms of years to come, I think, you know, people will realise what he kind of did for the club and, and you kind of buy into that, don't you? You know, you only have to look at what he scored against Plymouth. It was his first goal in, what, six, five, six, seven years and, and the kind of the reaction that was. And I remember it was a big thing that, you know, Klopp was, was so high praise for him. So, no, I really liked him and maybe didn't realise at the time. I, you know, I, I probably my, my my worst Lucas moment was the, the comeback against Dortmund when he gave the free kick away on the edge of the box, like right after Lovren had scored. I think it was like the 98th minute and then I was just like you just felt like typical Lucas but as I say with you know hindsight's a wonderful thing and I think now obviously when you see kind of all the tributes flooding into him and you know all the nice words people have said and and even the 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 volume of the people who have spoken you know you've got lots of King Kenny and all that so I think that just that speaks testament to him as not only a player but also a person and, and a servant to Liverpool Football Club so you know I wish him all the best and it's obviously not the not the way he would have wanted to retire obviously I'm sure he would have you know liked to have done at least another year at at Gremio, but obviously that's just the way football works. You know, obviously it could have been a lot worse. It's obviously good they found the issue so early. So, you know, only only fun memories of of Lucas. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, Rich, I know you're dying to list your memories of him, but I mean, 
I always remember he arrived as like they talked about him as like box to box goal scoring midfielder, and he, he he was never that in Liverpool. He was quite. I always thought he was a selfless player, and he allowed the, gave a platform to like to Gerard um, to play. What are your memories of him? Obviously, you've watched him throughout your adult life, and I think you have a lot of memories. Um, yeah, well, I can, I can remember once being in the main stand, giving him grief, and some fella stood up, Rimmer or something his name was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was drunk or something, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you deserved it. You definitely deserved it. 100%. Yeah, no, um, when he first came in, what, what you said there is absolutely right. He, he kind of came in as this sort of disguise, the new Zico, you know what I mean? He, he's uh, an attacking attacking player who's going to change the way Liverpool play in midfield. And what he actually got was... Uh, With the audience, back. Rich, new Kaka. New Kaka, yeah. Yeah, Zico, let's go with Kaka. That's probably a better example anyway. Um, but, yeah, so I think what Liverpool fans were expecting and what they got were actually two pretty different things. Um, and he did have a, a bit of a difficult start. And, and you know, if you don't hit the ground running, it can, it can be hard, can it? And, and not everyone gets uh, gets given a big honeymoon period. And he, and he certainly didn't. He did used to get a bit of grief from the stands. And then he probably thought, didn't he get his, wasn't his debut goal against having Waterlooville? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it's got, it's got a nice, a nice yeah, curler, yeah. didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, we might have even been losing at that point to have it or the leave it. Also, it, Martin Skirtle's debut, and he was horrific. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit of a mad one, that one, but yeah, so, so got that, through and got knocked out of Barnes, got knocked out by Barnes in the FA Cup, which, which is a story which isn't isn't for this <laughs> podcast. Which I tell you well, it's that that particular game, I don't want to digress, it is noted by my mates for the fastest exit they've ever made, seen me make from uh, a football stadium. I was literally out the door before they uh net had settled, I think, but uh, mine was similar, mine was similar. Yeah, was was fuming with that one, but uh, I'm not prepared to lay that all at Lucas's feet, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, he he was. I wasn't blaming he, Lucas for Barnsley, by the way. We, but just sorry, Lucas, that, if you're listening, that we won't blame you for yeah, Barnsley. That, that was just a joke, to be honest. But uh, it was wasted. But um, yeah, when he uh, once he settled in the side, he just become more of a defensive player, didn't he? That's how he. That's how he got a. a uh, a role in the side because because he, he was prepared to he might have come in as one player and ended up being a different one, but uh, he was honest as 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 they come and and was prepared to roll his roll his sleeves up and get on with it and and over time I just think um, that that endeared him to supporters and uh, when he got injured at Chelsea I think that 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 was that was a massive blow for him because I think at that point he was in the form of his life he just he was literally almost like wow this lad's gone from someone people thought oh who the hell have we signed here to this could be our, the future of our midfield here and and yeah it just come at such a bad time for him i don't and i don't think he was able ever able to sort of get back to those heights or or, or continue in that direction at, at least after that but he still managed the 10-year career at liverpool which is which is some going i think he's just got the one medal which is sort of indicative of the time um but yeah, he's he's a very likable character, and um, I have sort of kept an eye on his uh, on how he's done since he left the club, which you perhaps might not have said for every player of that era. Uh, so uh, shame he's had to call it a day, but uh, good on him for uh, coming over here and 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 in the end making making a good career for himself in the Premier League and at Liverpool. Thanks, Rich. You can close Wikipedia down now. Uh, Theo, I'll let you have the final say on on Lucas. Um, obviously, you've written a lot about him, and I think you're a big fan, weren't you? Yeah, Lucas. He's one of those characters you, you just loved. Like you could see how much Liverpool meant to him. Um, and there's just all these viral clips of him, aren't there? There's like the when he has the shot. I think it's in the derby, and it's the worst shot you'll ever see in a Merseyside derby. And Klopp's just laughing his head off on the bench. We've all seen the the unlucky. That one that does the rounds <laughs> on good, social media. Good impression. Is- Very good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, with Lucas, I think you've got to remember when he joined Liverpool, he was a 20-year-old Brazilian and he was coming into the best midfield in the midfield in the world. We had Steven Gerrard, Xavi Alonso, Javier Mascherano, and Momo Sissoko was still around, I think, as well. What chance did the lad have? <laughs> like at the time, no wonder he got abuse. Like you're taking off Gerard, and we remember that the, the game was talking about against Everton, where um, he's had the goal taken off him because of Phil Neville and Gerard's face at being withdrawn. 
And yeah. like it was oh, this big feud with Rafa. Why are you taking your captain off? You need a derby winner here. And Lucas Leiva basically delivers it. But he was never going to be as good as Alonso or Mascherano or Gerard. But he didn't need to be. Like, if Liverpool had been able to be as good throughout there and build on what Rafa had started, maybe his career would have been a bit more fondly remembered at the start. He was a bit more nitty gritty, wasn't he? But he's what Liverpool needed at that time between the eras. Like he was loyal. He was one of those players that you looked like he was going to leave almost every summer at one point, yet he stayed behind. And like Rich said, if he doesn't get that injury at Chelsea, he would have been a linchpin for a good few years there because he was pretty much the captain at that point when Gerard was injured and he was like player of the season. It just came at the wrong time for him. But he still gave us so many memories. It's a strange thing to say a player gave you a lot of memories when they didn't really score many goals and they didn't really get many assists. When he did score, they were pretty special ones. Like I remember there was um, Stuart Bucharest, I think, and he scored an absolute worldie in that game. Haven't and Waterlooville was obviously one. I think he scored a good goal against Benfica as well in the Europa League game. He's just a Liverpool player in the wrong era. He deserved more than what he got. But eventually, at the end of his decade, Liverpool fans appreciated what a, a nice guy he is, what a character he was. He did his job for the team. A bit unlucky with injuries and stuff. Unlucky with injuries, I should say. But yeah, it, it's a shame he's had to retire. He's, he's got a good career out of it. And you just hope that we'll see him back at Liverpool sometime soon, whether it's to get a nice reception off the crowd uh, a game or if his heart will at least let him take part in a little Legends game at some point. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. Maybe we'll get a testimonial at some point because he, he deserves a send-off. Um, I think after the retirement broke, I was digging around the archives to see. And there, there was a, a James Pierce piece from, I think, around the time he was leaving saying, give him a testimonial. Obviously, no sign of that now, six years on. But he deserves a, a bit of a special, of course, send-off if there is any opportunity in the future. He, he's a great character and you speak to all the players at the time, they loved him. It's not what he did on the pitch. It was the fact that he made all the youngsters feel welcome. He was everyone's best mate. He was putting a smile on their faces. He's someone you need behind the scenes. And that's partly why Klopp kept him around for so long as well. And so many of the, the players from the early areas were just discarded because he was so important for that camaraderie, for having that good team spirit. And he played an important part in the start of this journey from Liverpool's mentality monsters. He, he was there at the beginning unfortunately not at the end but he can hold his head up high he was part of that journey you don't you don't see many testimonials now do you so hopefully he does get a run out in the legends game at some point well thanks very much for that lads um lucas if you're listening best of luck in the in your in your career now whatever you do now and uh, we'll be back on friday for um another blood red podcast until then see you soon bye-bye you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo